We're talking about this, this series, You Asked For It, and we've been doing this in order. The first thing, the second thing, and the third thing ranked that you guys told us you wanted to talk about in, our, in the survey we did back on Easter. And again, some of these surprised me. We talked in the first week about forgiveness. We talked in the second week, last week, about marriage. Both of those are major portions of what the gospel teaches. To understand the gospel, you need to understand forgiveness. To understand marriage, the Bible talks about over and over that the relationship between us and Jesus, it uses the marriage example. And that's what we pulled from last week. We pulled from those verses talking about how that compares to the gospel. Now this week, this is number three. Forgiveness, marriage, and this week, don't blame me, y'all asked for it, okay? Number three was parenting, kids. And it, there was no specific, we even asked a couple people, you know, age groups, and they just said yes. And so here it is. Again, don't, you ask for this. Don't, if I step on some toes, we'll pray for them later. But you ask for it, and I'm going to give it to you. Do you want truth or do you mean to lie to you? For four of you want truth, the rest of you are going to get anyway. All right, let's look at this verse. This is in Nehemiah. And Nehemiah says that remembering the Lord who is great, awesome, and he uses these words. He says, fight for your families, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. Now, I know if you're like me, a lot of us, we are physically protective of our families. That if somebody comes kicking my door in in the middle of the night, they're going to not meet preacher man, they're going to meet mad daddy man, Right? And he may have some buddies hanging out with him, Smith on one side, Wesson on the other, and usually Uncle Glock in the back, right? And, we, and that's great. And you should, I mean, it should be us as, as parents, we should be out to protect our kids. And we even do it even when they're wrong. Thank you. One of those days. We even protect our kids when they're wrong, Right? Because our first thought was, my kid would never do that. Well, let me just clue you in and make this whole thing a lot easier. Yes, they will. They will do that, whatever it is, because they're kids. But he says to fight for your families, fight for your homes. And then in Proverbs, it says this. It says, a house is built by wisdom, but look how it becomes strong. Through what? Good sense. What's good sense? It's the application of wisdom. Because a lot of the stuff we talk about as parents, you know, but guess what? We don't do it. We know to tell our kids not to take a fork and stick it in the outlet. And we protect them from that. We know to tell our kids, don't drive 100 miles an hour down a back road at this time of year, or really ever, because what's going to jump out in the road? A deer. A deer. But when it comes to other things in our lives that I think are, should be higher priority, we don't tell them that. So my hope, my plan today, this little message is laid out a little different. I'm going to give you lots of nuggets. And I'm going to give you, you don't have to say, well, Clint, that's your opinion. Because I'm not going to give you my opinion, I'm going to give you the Bible. So if you don't like it, take it up with God. I support it and I'll stand behind it and I can defend it. But you need, you need to know that what I'm going to tell you today is from God. So we're going to give a, bi a biblical parenting wisdom so that we can be strong in this good sense. 
So how do we take the wisdom and walk it out? How do we take what a lot of us know and do it? Because the Bible gives us that our, our priorities are to be clear. They're clearly demonstrated and they should be clearly represented. But let me ask you this question. If God showed you a list of your priorities, there's a story in the Bible where God's finger comes down and begins to write on the wall, which in, an, in itself would freak most of us out, right? If you're at home and selling this big hand starts writing on the wall, you're going to have to go change your drawers and then come back and see what he's writing because that's going to freak us all out. But if God could come down and he started to write on the wall, one through 10, what God knows is your list of priorities. Would the list surprise you? Would you go, okay, well, I can see that. I do like to hunt. I do like this. I, okay, I see that. Because I think it would surprise us not only where God shows up in the list, but where our, our kids and parenting our kids shows up in the list. And I think it would surprise us that parents, ultimate, parents' priorities ultimately direct how you parent. What is important to you is what you watch after. If you don't care about it or you don't, it's not important to you, do you normally worry about it much? Do you normally worry if you have a brand new 2023 vehicle and right beside it is an old beater truck you just used to take trash to the dump? And I tell you, I'm going to walk outside and not tell you which one. I'm going to take a bat and put a big old dent in the side of it. Which one are you going to be more concerned about? The new one. Because it's a priority. And so I think sometimes our priorities, they get out of whack and we don't realize that those priorities are, are leading my family. And they're leading your entire family. And if we're honest, they're leading your entire family in a direction you don't want to go. And you would never tell them, yes, let's go that way. But if God writes the priorities on the wall and, you be, and we now see it, are we going to be big enough to go, yeah, that's right, I need to make some changes. So let's talk about some parenting wisdom and the priority of parents. That all of our priorities today center around the verse I'm going to give you, and it's the verse we actually used last week. It's one line from it. The first, did I give it to you or did I miss it? It's, it's John chapter 6, verse 68. And it says this, I must have left it off, but here it is. There we go. Sorry. It says, Peter replied, Master, Jesus asked, asked the disciples and says, hey, if y'all want to leave, leave. Everybody else is leaving. If y'all want to go, here's your, here's your chance. And he says, Master, to whom would we go that you have the words of life, eternal life, and we've committed ourselves, we're confident that you're the one. So we're going to build parenting like we did marriage around the fact that there's only one. There's one way. Because if we start excluding parts of the Bible, we might as well just throw the whole thing out, right? You can't just pick and choose. You can't say, well, I like this part, although we live that way as Christians, unfortunately, every day. We choose what we want to add to our lives. The Bible says in Psalm 16 that my choice is you, God. First and what? Say it again. First and yeah, it's your only choice. God, you're, you're it. There is no plan B. There's no second option. That you need to understand this as a parent. That my first choice is different from my only choice. 
Let me say it again. My first choice, which if there's a first choice, that indicates that there's a what? Second. First indicates there's second. Only indicates one. That when we think about our priorities as adults and as parents, that my first choice is different when you instruct your kid of saying, is your first choice or your only choice? I was blessed as a, as a child with my parents that my parents didn't give me another choice. I had a choice. And I, did I like it at times? No. I hated it at times. I was the kid that was drugged from high school football practice, smelling like everything that you would think you would smell like after football, and, and put on the back row at church on a Wednesday night. I, had, I would tell my mom, and I got to study. I got, and my dad would always say, your only choice is to put God first. And when you put God first, all your studies, your sports, everything else will take care of itself. And you know what? He was right. And I did that through college. Even through college and my master's, I made sure to, I was in church. I was serving God. God was first. And even when I had an all-night study night, and knowing that I, I'm not the smartest kid in the class, God bless me. Because my first choice is different from what I consider my only choice. And everything we teach our kids has to come from this position. Everything else I say today has to come from this position. Now here's where this gets a little bit sticky. Curl your toes up, okay? If you're not making the only choice, your kids aren't either. Because church-optional parents raise God-optional kids. You can say it this way. God-optional parents raise God-optional kids. If you want your kids, and I think we all do, I want my kids to live everything that the Bible has for them, to have everything that God has for them, to have health and strength and life and protection and the perfect husband, the perfect family, and the perfect car. I want everything. Well, if you do, then I'm not worried about your first choice. I'm worried about your only choice. Because church-optional parents raise God-optional kids. And it's just true. And some of you maybe who have older kids who've watched them go away and come back or maybe go away and they've not come back. You know this is true. And we blame it on the devil and the devil does go after our kids. He tries to destroy his families. He tries to destroy his marriage because that's how we connect to God. And yes, the devil can lead your kids away. But if their understanding is my only choice is to follow God, even when I don't understand, that becomes a much more difficult task for the devil, that you either point them to God or you're not. There is no, well, we might. You're either pointing your kids to God or you're not pointing at all. And it's stark, but it's the truth. Because the truth of the matter is whatever is optional to my kids will never be priority to me. I mean, what's optional to me will never be priority to my kids. And we need to know that. But look what the Bible says here in Luke 4, 16. It's Jesus is saying this. He, he's talking about Jesus. That he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath and he stood up and read the scriptures. As usual, he went. This is talking about Jesus, right? If you remember the story when Jesus is found in the, in the church or in the synagogue and Mary and Joseph are looking for him and they can't find him. They don't know where he is. And they go and find him in the church. And the Bible tells us this was his usual thing. It was his priority. Well, how did it become his priority? 
because the father instilled in him, this is your only choice. This is the choice you have. This is what, where everything you need lies. And he, he, time after time, Jesus went to church. They, the Jewish people would have called it synagogue, and he actually went, and here's the, here's the next thing. He participated. Jesus was not a pew-sitter, even as a child. And I think a lot of times as Christians, we don't do anything but occupy space and breathe air, and that's really sad. But not only is, is showing your kids that there's only one choice, showing them how to participate with that choice is equally as important because that leads us to our second one. You can't set your expectations above your investments. I'll let that one settle for a minute. What do you mean by that? This is what I mean. We're shocked when our kids mess up. We're shocked when our kids go astray. But what we've done is we've set our expectations here. We want you to be a godly man, be a godly woman, act the right way, do the right things. But our investments as parents are here because church is optional, God is optional. And, and as much, I was joking with one of my friends the other day, we were laughing about hunting. And I said, that I would love to be sitting in the woods right now. And probably right now when I get home on one of my cameras, the biggest buck in the county is probably walking right through laughing at me. And I could make that a priority or an investment. But guess what that investment ultimately goes into? My kids. My family. So when we, we have expectations that are high, but our investment in really teaching them what the Bible says, the only one, our, our investments are far below our expectations. The Bible says this in Colossians, Paul's writing this to the church in Colossians, and he says, you've had this expectation since you first heard about the gospel, right? You heard about it, and then now you have expectations from it. It goes on in verse 6 and says, it's bearing fruit, changing lives, just as it changed yours from the day you heard about it, the truth about God's wonderful grace. So you heard it, it impacted your life. And it's going on. But how did it get to you? Look what it says in verse 7. It says, you learned about it, the good news from this guy, Epaphras, our beloved co-worker. And here's, the ver here's what I want you to see. He is Christ. Say this with me. Come on. Wake up. Say it with me. He is Christ. Faithful. What does faithful mean? Faithful means that this guy was doing this all the time. His investments was He's giving you the word. He's teaching you the word. He's teaching you to read your Bible. He's bringing you to youth group. When the doors are open, when you, even when they don't want to come, you're getting them here. You're telling your two-year-old. You're taking the time to teach and instruct and grow. And, and he's faithful. And, he's, and he says, because of that, you have fruit from your life. Because somebody was faithful. His investments were at the level that his expectations were. Anybody, and I know some of you are, are brokers and work in the stock market, you, it's hard to expect a giant return if you have a very little what? Investment. I was listening yesterday to an interview that, that Kirby Smart, the coach at Georgia, said. And he said, I can't tell you how, we're, how the play is going to go, but I can tell you that no one is in better shape than we are because our investment all week is to be the best in shape of any team we play. 
So his investment was expecting to be, you're this, we're investing at this level, I expect this level of return. And we don't do that with our kids. We expect these major returns, and his parents, maybe with poor investments. So why are we surprised when they make bad decisions? And I'll say this too. People say, well, you need to be an example for your kid. Partially true. Because what, I think it's, it's true with me. It's even true in basic biology. If you talk about um, a bird hatching and you see crazy things where a, a baby or a bird or a, a newborn animal is put with another animal and when its eyes first open, like the, the cat thinks the dog is its mom or the, the, the duck thinks the chicken is its mom. Why? Because it imprints. And more than you know, whether you are doing this for your biological kids, you have a blended family, or maybe you don't have kids at all. You have kids looking up to you that the decisions you make based on the priorities you have imprint. And they stick. And they become how your kid relates to God. They become how your kid relates to his future wife, his future husband, her future husband. It's more than an example. It imprints. All right, another one. If you're wanting all these two, they're all on the, online on our live. You can go there and live and get all these. Here's the next one. This one may seem crazy to you. It's true. I'll stand behind it. Fun is not your priority. Somebody should say amen. Fun, as a parent, is not your priority. Amen. I still don't think you get it. <laughs> Fun is not your priority. I was going to put it this way. Fun is not your priority. Why? Because fun is a result. Fun is not something you provide. Fun is what comes as a result. Does that make sense? We, yeah, all of us and me included, sometimes I'm more worried. I want, I want fun because if it's fun, they're happy. And if they're happy, they're not driving me batty, right? So it becomes about fun that we don't want to, that discipline doesn't happen. But the Bible is clear and actually says this. this is a New Living Translation. It says this in any translation you look at, but look at Hebrews chapter 12, verse 11. It says very clearly, no discipline is enjoyable. I don't remember ever, and I, I'm from the generation, like a lot of you, is that the moment you messed up, the next thing you saw was a belt, a spoon, a switch, a crowbar, whatever they could get their hands on, right? Somebody, my mama was like 110 this high, you know, she was little, and as kids, we were much bigger than her, but I was equally terrified of her because I understood she was going to swing whatever she could get her hands on, and then I would, and I learned real quick that because I had gotten it one time didn't mean I wasn't getting it again when my dad got home and found out she had to do it in the first place. And I don't ever remember, actually I do one time, I do remember my mom one time spanking me and I turned around and looked at her and was like, I still got scars. Uh-uh, you don't ever, kids, teenagers care how old you are, 18, 19, 20, 40. Don't ever tell your mind didn't hurt. She is going to knock you out. And then when she wakes you up, your dad's going to knock you out again. See, I don't ever remember it being joyful. But was it necessary? Oh, you better believe it. 
You better believe when my parents, as a, I was in like elementary school, and we lived above, my house sat above the neighbor's house. So when we sat on the bank at our house, I was looking at the side of my neighbor's house, and we had this clay hill. My parents, my mom came home to find us making clay balls and sticking them to the side of the house next to us. Well, if you know anything about clay on vinyl, it stains. And I remember my dad taking me over there and knocking on the door and shoving me in the door and made me tell that man that I just destroyed his, his siding. It wasn't enjoyable, but it was necessary. Fun is something that comes, I believe, that as parents, when we're our, we have our priorities right, their priorities are right, life becomes blessing. Life becomes exciting because fun is the result of, of harmony. Fun is the result, the Bible talks about unity. Look what it says. It goes on in this verse and verse, the rest of verse 11. It says, but afterwards, after it's painful, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living. See, we try to skip it all and go straight to the fun. Now, I'm not saying that you, we are to be parents that are just stick in the muds, hardcore, drill sergeant, just jerks. But we need to know our priority is not that they have fun. Because you know what? And I didn't even give you this first because it was getting too deep, but I'll tell you this much. You know, God, God's not worried about you having fun. He's worried about your holiness. Why? Because Jesus made us right. Right gets us to God. God gives us fun. Right? We try to get that all backwards. We try to give them the fun, and then we wonder why they don't go where we want them to go. Because they're, they're bent toward fun. They're bent toward the phone and the terror that you see in a teenager when you go and take it. Mabel, who's a, she's a great kid. She, she's next door with Melanie. She's going to kill me for even saying this. But I told her when we gave her her phone, I said, just know that, that daddy's a nerd and I know what's in your phone and I know how to get in your phone and you can't lock it and that you're smarter than me in all these areas, but I guarantee you, I'll get you on that. She said, I know, daddy, I I know. And I said, and if I ever catch you doing something you're not supposed to, I'm not even going to come turn it off. And I showed her my phone on our computer network at home. I can just click this button. Thanks to Mr. Andrew helped me out. When I click that button, your phone's not getting on your internet, anybody's internet ever again. And you've got a paperweight. See, we, we don't want to give our kids, let them know, the, the training and the responsibility to get there, we just want them to have fun. That we understand that, that training brings right living. A harvest of right living are those who are trained this way, who understand that my priorities are like my parents' priorities. My parents' priorities know that God, God is first. Look what the Bible says in Deuteronomy chapter 11. It says, commit yourself wholeheartedly to these words of mine. Tie them to your hands and wear them on your forehead as reminders. If you don't remember, a few weeks back I talked about the Jewish people used to take these boxes and they would write scriptures on them and they would put them in the box and then they would tie them onto their forehead or onto their arm so that the word of God would always be in front of them. So that's the example it's giving. And it goes on to say, teach them to your children. Teach the verses. This is where priorities come into play. Talk about them when you're at home. Talk about them when you're on the road. Talk about them when you're going to bed. Talk about them when you get up. Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, but how many of you do any of those? 
Because even I am guilty that even in the morning, like, I'm not worried about in the morning. I want my coffee, I need my keys, and, that's, and if Mabel gets in the truck to go to school, then that's a bonus, right? I'm not a morning person, I don't, but the Bible's very clear that as our priorities should be, they see it in us when we're at work, they see us in church, they see us when we're with our spouses, they see us when we're taken into school, they see and see the word priority. And it says, after you write them on the doorposts of your house, your gates, so long as the sky remains above the earth. So if the sky's below the earth, we're all in trouble and there's bigger issues. That's your only excuse. It says, you and your children may flourish. Why do they flourish? Because it's written on all those places. It's constantly in front of them. That fun is not our priority. Them following God is our priority and fun will come after that. But yet we don't te- we teach people that we teach our kids and we the kids infer from us that church is boring, that church is no fun, that I'm not going to get anything out of it. Well, if your expectations are here and your investments are here, then they're not going to get anything out of it. Look at the next one. Love can't be a priority without discipline. If I ask any of you from a newborn baby to an adult kid, do you love your child? All of us, for the most part, maybe a few exceptions, all of us would say yes. And I don't question that you care about your child. I don't care, question that you, that you do love your child. But the, according to the Bible, love is what's given to those. The reason when you love somebody, you discipline them. And we have this misunderstanding that discipline about our kids that, that means we don't love them. That means you're angry. That means you're mean. This may be the one thing that changes your life, right? What's coming next? For, for some of you, and maybe you're watching online and you didn't get here and you should be, right? Here's what the line, and this may be for, teenage, for you who have teenagers. No is not a dirty word. No. Now I do, I, with, with my kids, I try to, if they're coming from an honest place, to, ha- to not go, no, and maybe give them a path to get where they want to go. But there are a lot of us as parents, no is a dirty word. Why? Because they might hate me. They might, no. No is not a dirty word. No is not, is not a, a, a relationship-ending word. Most of you, if you've been around church at all, you've heard this verse in Proverbs 13, 24, which says, those who spare the rod of discipline hate their children. And we get caught up on spanking, and I've talked about that before, and again, I grew up at a house where they let you know real quick what spanking was. We had, our girls in our first house, we had a bathroom that was painted red, and we called it the red potty. So when they were little and they knew if they were ever instructed, go wait for me in the red potty, that they were in trouble. They knew what was coming. That's where I stand and I'll, I'll go into If you've got questions, we'll go into that. But look what it says in the rest of this verse. Those who love their children care enough to do what? To discipline them. I'm going to give you a bunch of verses here. Get these from the online. I'm going to do them quick. That was Proverbs 13. Proverbs 3 says, Because the Lord disciplines those he loves. A father, 
As a father, the son delights in him. Who? The one he loves. Who's that? The one he disciplines. Hebrews 12, 6. It is the child God loves that he disciplines. The child he embraces, he corrects. Even if, God, you didn't get it then, at the very end of the Bible, the last book of the Bible, Revelation 3 says, I correct and discipline everyone I love. See, if our priorities are not right and we don't see God as the only one, then discipline becomes, I'm disciplining you out of anger, I'm disciplining you out of frustration. All of those are legitimate. I get angry with my kids, I get frustrated with my kids, but if that, what, that is what is motivating my discipline, then they're going to sense that. They're going to know that. If they're sensing me, pushing them toward the priorities that I'm living, they'll follow it. If they sense me pushing them toward priorities that I'm not even upholding, then they become bitter. Then they become angry. Then they want to know, why is it good for me but not for you? But you know this. So the next one. Boundaries bring security and freedom. I hear a lot, and if you said this, I'm not picking on anybody, but I, I hear a lot. I'm just, I gotta let my kids, they just gotta go explore and so they know they're free so they can learn what's right. No. No. Nobody takes their four-year-old and puts them in a new car and hands them the keys and says, just figure it out. Most of you, I hope, when your child turns, Mabel's approaching 15 now, and my plan is not to go buy a car, give her the keys, and say, you're free, go figure it out. And all of you would just, you did what if I did that? Yet, that's how we raise our kids. It's figuring out. I'm going to tell you what's right and wrong, and when you see what's right and wrong, just, just do what's right, not what's wrong. No. And the world tells us that if you give people boundaries, they hate you. No, they really don't. But even with God, with God, we focus, we spend all our, our lives as Christians telling people about God, and we usually end up telling them from what you can't do. You can't do this, you can't say that, you can't go here, you can't think that. Instead of telling them, look, God told me that I don't do these things because they're not good for me. They protect me, they keep me safe, they give me boundaries. That they, you give, I heard a, a friend of mine put it one day, is you give kids a guardrail. You give them, and we have, that's why they put guardrails on the, on the interstate. They keep you in. This is where you need to run. This is where you need to drive. Don't drive in the median or through the woods because you're going to hit a tree. Drive on the road. It gives, you, it gives us guidance. Look what the Bible says in Psalm 119. This is David writing. He says, I walk about in freedom. Why? Because I've not only found your precepts, I seek out your precepts. This is not your priority. It's never going to be your kid's priority. If you're not trying to make decisions and trying to follow God, God, what do I need to do in this situation? Figure out what God says. Then don't expect your kids to do that. Our priorities need to be, God, what do you say? God, where do, where do you need me to go? Genesis 2.9, here's another one. I know this is a lot of scripture today. You can, again, get it online. The Lord God made all kinds of fruit, all kinds of trees. If you don't know, this is the story of the, of the creation story when God created the earth he created man, and the Bible says he created this garden, and he put man and woman in it. And it says this, The Lord God made all these trees to grow out of the ground, and the trees were pleasing to the eye and good to eat. We picture like one or two trees. 
I heard a theologian put it as, if you ever stood on the top of a mountain, like in the Appalachian Mountains, and you can just see trees and gardens forever. That's the way he described it. So it's good for, good for the eye, good for food. Look at the rest of the verse. In the middle of the garden, there were the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. So there's two trees. And in all these other trees all the way around. But the way we approach Christianity and the way if you approach discipline this way and you approach boundaries this way, you approach it from the negative side and here's what your kids hear. If you go all the way to verse 16 and it said, the Lord commanded the man, you are, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden. So if there's a million trees, you can eat from 999,999 of the trees. But he says to them, but you must not eat from the one tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you do eat it, that's when you're going to die. We approach our kids and we approach God as, this is what you can't do. Well, what is he saying? You can't do this one because it's bad for you, but there's 900,000 others you can. And that's the way we need to approach our kids. Listen, I'm giving you this, and when they see your priorities right, when they see you following God, when they see you living by these same instructions, they begin to realize that I'm protecting you. That with my girls, there's something, and if you let your kids do this, that's between you and God, there's some things I'm just not going to let them do. Even when she said, I, she, I've told her now, even as a teenager, there's some things I'm just going to tell you no. And I tell her, Mabel, don't lose sight of all that's good around you because of one tree. We, we get focused on that one tree. And kids are geared that way. But if we begin to present God to them, God gave us 900,000 trees and just said, this one will hurt you. This is the one that's poison. That our priorities in correct lines set boundaries and boundaries bring security and freedom. It's not removing freedom from you. As we close, I'll give you this. The Bible gave us in, in, in Exodus, it gives us, and I didn't give you all the verses because it was too much before we get out of here. That God gave us the Ten Commandments. And in these Ten Commandments, one of them says that you're supposed to honor your father and mother. I believe this is still true today. I believe it's important to me now. That in and, it, and Paul copies this in Ephesians. That even today, I honor my father and mother because it says this is the first commandment with a promise. Well, if you look at the New and the Old Testament when it's when it's quoting this, the old promise is it's going to go well with you. It says in this in the in this verse that this is the first commandment with a promise in verse three: if you honor your father and mother, things will go well with you, and you will have a long life on the earth. So here's the problem with priorities out of order. Your kids can't get to that point if they're not taught that point. I don't know anybody in the room that would say, well, I don't want my kids to have a long life on the earth. Hope they're short and miserable, right? We all want long, blessing, healthy, abundance. But the only way they get that way, the Bible says it's the first, prom first promise, I mean, first commandment with a promise. And that promise is everything they need. And the Bible's very clear. If you honor your father and mother, well, they, to honor your father and mother, they got to get there. So from this verse, ushers, you can do your thing. 
band, Shay, you, y'all can come on. I want to give, I'm going to give you three things, and I'm going to be honest with you. I'm going to give them to you real quick. The last three things I could give you, Mel and I are talking about maybe in the spring doing a whole series on families and because these three things could be a whole series. But I'm going to give them to you quick because in that verse, if you go back to the verse, put it back up there for me, Ephesians 6, 1. Ephesians 6, 1 through 3. In here, the Bible actually gives us how we treat our children, how we treat our teenagers, and how we treat our adult children. And we need to hear this because there's a difference. That children, you can go back to that last point. Children are trained. Trained means, like when we say potty training, as crazy as that sounds or any other training you do with your kids, they do it by what? If you've ever had kids, anybody ever have a two-year-old that you tried to go to the bathroom by yourself? Especially my wife, I'm the only guy in the house, so I don't, you know, she gets all that. So you try to go to the bathroom and there's, there's a kid watching you. Well, they're paying attention. Why? They want to see what mommy and daddy are doing. I got asked several times, daddy, you do it different than we do. They notice. Kids, children are trained. And the Bible says that we need to train them in the way of God. And the way you train them is by what? Showing them. You teach them. We say this verse and then they say it back to us. And an action demonstrated. The reason they call it potty training. You train them. You, you, it's a process. Teenagers are taught. Children are trained. Teenagers, we'll just say from 13 to 20, 13 to 18, are taught. And the difference in teaching is you're preparing the person to find the answer themselves. It's equivalent to not giving them the answer to the math problem. You've told them how to read the Bible. You've told them how to get closer to God. You've told them, and now you're teaching them. They're taught to find that outcome on their own because you can't save your kids. They have to make that decision for themselves. And if we never teach them, hey, here's, we train them to follow God. We train them to listen to God so then they can come to the conclusion themselves. If you want them to make the right answers, you got to give them the right training. The right training teaches them how to find the answer, how to find that answer to the problem. So children are trained. Teenagers are taught. Adults are trusted. They're trusted. You start to see the fruit that you're training They've used and learned from and come to their own answers and then you begin to see the fruit. But here's the thing, it's not too late to start if you've never thought this through, no matter how old your kids are, it's not too late. I asked Melanie if, if I could use this, this phrase. She didn't, she didn't know if it would fly, but I'll give it. There, there's something to the old verbiage that you, you can't teach a dog new tricks, old dog new tricks. Well, I hope that's not true because I don't want to think I got it. I can't think I got it all together and this old dog needs to keep learning. So I, I believe you can. You can teach your adult children. You can teach because our priorities influence what we teach and those teachings influence people's decisions. An adult that's trusted. I do this. With, I called my dad last week and I said, do you trust me? And he said, well, what do you mean? Like, do you trust me? He's like, well, yeah. Well, what makes you trust me? And he just said, 
because I see how your family is. I see how your life is. So I said, you see fruit? Yes. How do you trust a child? You don't. A child is a child. They have to show fruit. When they show fruit, you go, oh, they got it. You give them a little more. We look at our teenagers, parents, and I'm, I'm saying this as somebody with a, maybe we're going into these teenage high school years, and teenagers, I'm sorry. But we look at our teenagers and we treat them like adults and we trust them. And we shouldn't not trust them because they're evil. We shouldn't not trust them because they're not, being, they're not done being trained and taught. And you do, you give them a little, they have good results, and you trust them. They get older, do better, you have trouble, they keep going. And I guess what I'm saying is that we need to stop treating our children, even our children, 12-year-olds, much less 18-year-olds, like adults. And I get it, they have responsibility. But the Bible says if I want it to go well with them, I want them to have the long life, that they need to be so ingrained in them that all of their life, they're gonna honor father and mother, the one training them, because they see my priorities right and they're living out the priorities and they're getting it right. They're getting God right. They're getting closer to God. They're taking their one steps. I know that's a lot to process. I just couldn't leave without giving you guys that. I hope all of these nuggets just don't pile on. I was even trying to this week making changes that Mel and I was like, we're not doing this right. So I hope that lands, lands in a good place in your heart and you hear me. I'm not saying don't be fun. I'm saying don't lose sight of the goal of our kids, prosperity, blessing, and long life for the sake of just fun. That we're not our kids' best friends, we're their parents. First, we have to answer that. And I believe we have to answer that for God. He looks and says, I've given you this. What did you do with it? God, I showed them everything I did could about you to point them to you. Amen? Amen. Why don't you stand with me? God, I thank you for being so good to us. God, as parents, I just ask for your help that we point our kids towards you. We point our kids toward Jesus. God, even those in the room say, well, Clint, I don't even have Jesus, that today we can say, God, it's this simple, that I receive Jesus as my Lord and Savior. God, I confess I've messed up, but you've forgiven me. And God, if I confess it with my mouth, believe it in my heart that Jesus is my Savior, your word says that my salvation is secure. And God, we pray that today. God, that you lead us and guide us in Jesus' name. Help us be better parents. Help us change a generation that it's not too late because we point them to you, not to us. Thank you for it, God. In Jesus' name. And we're gonna sing one more song. And as we do, I just want you to know as the song plays, if you want somebody to pray for you, pray for your kids, pray for your family, over to my right, your left, Pastor Bob and Tammy, you're over there today. We're changing this a little bit. So during the song, if you wanna go, you can go and be prayed for. That way you don't have to worry about being late to go get your kids or leaving your kids over next door. But we're gonna pray and I'm gonna, we're gonna sing this song and I want you to know that there are people who care, there are people that wanna pray and believe with you that maybe even if you messed it up as a parent, that we have a redeeming God and he'll, he will redeem the family, redeem your house and redeem your kids, amen?
Amen. God, I thank you as we go today that you do just in that, in fact. You bring us life. You bring us health. You bring us healing. God, where we've messed it up, God, you make it straight. And I thank you for being so good to us now. And we thank you for it now. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen.